Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Movies. This episode was recorded while I was away in New York, and unfortunately I did not have my microphone, which I'm currently using now. And so my audio during this broadcast may come across a little not amazing. It might not be up to snuff compared to other episodes, but I think it's very serviceable. If it wasn't, I would put this out as a bonus episode Everybody else's audio is fairly clear. And this is a crowded call. We have Jerry Jensen, the critical unbeliever. We have Jake, the cinematologist. And we have fan favorite, now banned from Twitter, Hans Lam Barboza. We're going to be talking about extremely wicked, shockingly cruel, and vile. I think that's the title. I fucked it up so many times in the midst of recording this that I had to rely on Jake throughout. So, one other thing... If you guys could head on over to iTunes and rate this podcast five stars, that would be not only highly appreciated, but it would help boost the overall number of downloads. It's going to make this show come up more frequently in people's search results, because right now, I think we got about 11 reviews total, which is not equivalent to the amount of downloads we're getting every episode, which is pretty good so far. We've been growing at a relatively fast rate, especially since that episode with Justin Wang went up last week. So if you could head on over to iTunes and do that again, greatly appreciated. If not, you know, you're, you're a scum-sucking uh, bag of fuck. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. This is Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema. I am your host, Lorez, and today we have, for the first time ever, four people. We have Jerry, the critical unbeliever. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm A-OK, Jerry. Enjoy your G Fuel there. We have Jake. Hello. Thanks for having me again. I see you're rocking the vintage MTV shirt. Yes, uh, before they turn to stage four cancer. And we have Hans, who's just sitting in the dark, per the usual. A real creep. You look like a molester, Hans. What's with you? <laughs> His picture is, like, extremely contrasted, like, bringing out all the small details in the corner of his face we can see. I look like a molester as opposed to, what, regularly handsome man? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I, don't, I mean, <laughs> look, you, you're sitting in the dark. You get this V-neck white shirt on like you haven't left your room in days. It's the kind of figure you would see if you went on chat roulette in 1999, you know? <laughs> and if you went on chat roulette in 1999, you would see it because that was me. Back in 1990. Back when you were 30. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was 42. Recently married. Three kids. Today we're going to be discussing the new Netflix Ted Bundy film. Uh, which, Jake, you can go right ahead and attempt the title. <laughs> Extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and vile. I just want to uh, talk about some other things before we actually get into that movie. Because somebody had sent me a screen cap of your reaction, Jake to the new trailer for It, Chapter 2. You were not impressed with that. I First, I want to hear what this person said about my take, because it's like 50-50, and so I'm looking forward to a spicy comment about it. Well, no, they, they didn't have an opinion about your take. It was more so that I had posted something about the trailer, and then your post was just right above mine, essentially contradicting my my take on that, which was that the trailer was good, but it relied a little too heavily on that 
ooh, creepy, uh, jumpy, weird body that is insect-like, is moving around the house. Uh-oh, watch out for this this person. Isn't it creepy, guys? And it's really tiresome. <laughs> like, yeah, the, the jump-cut physical element of, like, 2000s or 2010s horror, I'm so done with. I think I was done with it in, like, 2011. And, uh, yeah, so this new It trailer... I was talking to the guys before the show started, and um, the first 50-60% of it I liked quite a bit with the the interaction with uh, Miss Kirsch, which happens in the novel between uh, Beverly and the old woman who lives in the house her father used to live in. Like, most of that interaction was great, and then they had this horrible idea to put together, like, the most generic, almost action-filmy type trailer in there with grandiose bombastic music too tight of editing and then just terrible teases of scenes to come of pennywise of thousands of balloons because the fucking balloon thing wasn't played out already listen in the novel there are nowhere near as many as those balloons and yet oh god yeah 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 they're they're fucking killing that too so, yeah, it's when you see all those things just come together, it, it just presents that. They're going for such a generic movie, and you kind of hinted at it yourself with the, with the, the jump-cut physicality that, that's been done a million times since, what, when it started in, like, the late 90s? Like, that shit you used to see in fucking 13 Ghosts with Tony Shalhoub. Whoa, what a callback. <laughs> what a drop. How fucking... Are you talking shit about that movie? I love that. I used to love that movie. I can't say I love that movie, but I used to Wait, like don't it Wait, don't they end that movie like by getting together with the power of love? And that's how they defeat the ghost? That's right. That that's they, the that's 13th ghost. Love. Okay, you spoiled it love. 19 years later, but... Shit. <laughs> shit. They should end that. Well, I was just thinking because that movie would be perfect to end with some Huey Lewis in the news. Sorry. This is way off topic. Um, well, I was going to ask, do you think... In relation to the the balloons thing, do you think that because uh, a lot of people associate the red balloon thing with like you know it's 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 for some reason like an autonomous inanimate object, so that was creepy in the uh, in the old uh, made for TV movie. So coming back to it now, like thirty years later, it's it's sort of supposed to one of those things like hey, remember this? Plus, like, isn't it creepy that this balloon just kind of going? Yeah, but it, it, oh yeah, go ahead, Hans. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, the the thing is uh, that uh, it used to be creepy because he was supposed to be a kid holding it, right? And then the kid disappears, and oh, there's the balloon by itself. But like now they're showing a thousand balloons. It's like, what? I don't see what the point is. Like balloons are not creepy unless you're one of those weirdos go to like Maury and have <laughs> balloon phobia, and then they end up throwing them in a you know in a room full of balloons. But besides that, like I don't understand what the creep factor of you know red balloons is, unless they're showing the the clown you know behind it. No, and it doesn't work for the sake of even like this trailer either, because it's just like a fluff shot. It doesn't add any any extra suspense or ambience to whatever scene they're trying to put forward, which is which is the intent. I I would think for uh, people that do find like the balloon scary or find it to be a good like plot device or something. I think it's something that adds ambience to to a scene, but like balloons themselves, like in the trailer, floating into a brightly lit summer sky. That's that's a fucking funeral, dude. Oh, that, that, no, yeah. It's, that's oh, not, like, oh no, this is somebody's. Wait, but have you have you guys party. not 
have you guys not seen that 10 minute IGN video where they go frame by frame checking everything like they do? Oh, I hate, I hate it so much. <laughs> I'm still subscribed to like Collider video and it's like, oh, well, we have to have a round table and we got to talk about this trailer. I mean, we're kind of doing that right now. But they... yeah, except it's a, it's a circle <laughs> jerk every time on those shows. Yeah. Did they ever really have anything outright negative to did, like? Does anyone just show up and go, "Yeah, this looks like shit"? No, because looks like garbage. They, they get free tickets. They get all kinds of merch, gifts as a result of uh, covering these films from Warner Brothers, Disney, etc. Like they, they, it's all a big fluff session. But I think that's why it's so funny when uh, Red Letter Media do the Star Wars thing. You know the the Star Wars podcast thing because that's all they do. Just like uh, say how much they love the show while wearing Star Wars merch and have like the pops and all that Ugh. shit on the thing. But yeah, IGN does that with every fucking movie that has a little bit of you know geekiness on it, and it's just like watch this twenty minute video, five nerds talking about every frame, and <laughs> oh, what would this image mean? I wonder what this will be. And it's like, just fucking wait for the movie. Well, you know, like, what's, the... what's with these 40-year-old men collecting, like, Funko Pops, like, like you just kind of mentioned? Yeah, find a limit. <laughs> find a limit. I, like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying don't get stuff that you like, right? Just because it doesn't really have a function. Not everything has to be practical. But there's got to be a fucking limit. Like, I have, I, have this one, I have this one little Goku right here and a little bender that I keep up here. They're just like some bullshit little toys, mm. right? And the, the, you'll see plenty of, of content creators that they're probably doing um, 10 things you missed about the It trailer. They're probably uploading that video right now. And they'll see, you'll see in their camera, they'll have a back wall full of Funko Pops. And they'll be like, oh, I got uh, Cliff. He runs the hot dog stand in episode 39 of Serenity. Uh, he has two <laughs> lines. He's played by a guy named Mel Burton who died of cancer in 2009. And uh, yeah, we made a fun. And well, this is I, the I variant. The He's got a green shirt. I made the fun. Come it's myself. $200. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you. I think you have a good point in that you know, as you get into adulthood, sure, like some some people like to collect things. Like good old Ted Bundy was collecting women's heads, <laughs> and uh, we didn't really get too deep into that with this movie. Jake, title: Extremely wicked, incredible, shockingly <laughs> evil, and vile. How about, you have to say it like three more times. I think so. We have two times now. You got to say it like three more times. So you've been collecting ladies' fingernail polish, Laura, so we can see. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm uh, I'm currently in Long Island, and I am recording this from my girlfriend's bedroom because the rest of the house is pretty big, and nobody's ever home, and it's not full of stuff. So you you would get all kinds of reverb if I weren't here, surrounded by shoes and makeup and uh, nail polish. Koreans. <laughs> Koreans in their shoes. <laughs> I want to get into the movie. I want to see what you guys had as far as expectations went leading into this film. Because when I heard about it last year, I was intrigued. I was interested in it. And then when I found out it was going to Netflix, my interest began to dwindle. However, Netflix films this year have been more on the uptick as far as quality has gone. Uh, and I do think that, in my opinion anyway, this is one of the better films to have come out this, this year thus far. Uh, but I want to get everybody's take here on Jake Title. Extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and vile. 
Can I start? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> we need just me okay. saying that on a soundboard that you can just press from now on. <laughs> because if I say it just one more drop, time, I'm yeah. going to fucking summon Ted Bundy into one of our fucking rooms. <laughs> is it, hand, is it uh, Zac Efron, Ted Bundy, though? He's not going to do anything to you. Just love He's you. He's just going to stare into you with those dreamy eyes. I just, I guess, I guess my my problem with this movie is that I just didn't really see a point of it existing. Like it was showing maybe a side of Ted Bundy that we never saw before, where he's sensitive and he's like a nice guy and like he loves this girl and like he lies to her because he loves yeah. her. But we didn't really see anything that we didn't know before. And and the fact that um, that they show him as this gentile, like gentile, like, no, not gentile. That's not the word. <laughs> Whoa, dude. Wait, that's not the word. <laughs> That's not yeah, the fuck I'm looking him. for. Um, Gentile <laughs> bitch. <laughs> We're the real Jews out here. Like, like this very soft, very, you know, kind, very funny, very, like, I, I didn't get any of, uh, you know, he's supposed to be this creepy um, uh, manipulator guy right. that would rape women and brutally kill them. Like, this whole thing felt like a romantic comedy of but, a guy that just, is he lying or is he not Well, lying? that's the, that's like, the point, just, though. That's the whole point and why the movie was constructed the way it was. The way that you watch the movie is the same way that people in Ted Bundy's life experienced him, which is, oh, he's a charismatic guy. Like, they have, uh, you know, montages almost of him getting away, jumping out of uh, courtroom windows, escaping... And you're rooting for them, and they have it set to like cool '70s music that you're, you know, bobbing your head to, and it's like, yeah, 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 I want that guy to get away. And then you slowly start to like, if you knew nothing about this guy, if you knew that it, if you didn't know that it was Ted Bundy and it was just some Zac Efron character, like you would reach some point where it's like, you know, he's getting in trouble a lot here. He keeps getting caught on these tr- like something's up. Something okay, maybe he is guilty, and that's that's the whole process the movie undergoes is. I guess the filmmaker was looking to manipulate the viewer the same way that Ted Bundy did his victims and the people in his life. And, I mean, if you look into the filmmaker's filmography, he did do the Ted Bundy tapes documentary. He had all this information and unreleased footage on him. And I guess he's a documentarian by trade, so he's familiar with this kind of uh, uh, cinema texture, I suppose. How was that, how was that um, documentary series? I, I was meaning to watch it. Didn't watch it. I saw one episode of it and I got bored. <laughs> Same. Yeah. So I did Same watch thing. it. I watched <clears throat> like almost all of it. I might have missed the the last one, the last one, but I watched the vast majority of it and it's actually pretty interesting. I I I mean it's all that shit obviously. My, you know, the content I make is kind of like about some of those same type of people. Um but but what I thought was interesting was Liz Kendall actually pitched a good portion of this story. Um and helped construct the narrative of the Ted Bundy manipulation and uh, told a little bit of like her kind of background in it. And, and that's why you get those scenes with um, uh, who's the Stay Puff Marshmallow man and her. And he's he's Haley Joel Osmond. Sorry. Yeah. Haley <laughs> Joel Osmond. They, I, I mix him up for a minute. Um <laughs> And he's he says like very literally like oh well he's you know he's killing you and those references those are things yeah. that like um, that guy didn't actually say in her life but parts of, of things that she had written down in her own diary that she was pulling from to help craft the narrative in that sense like when I when I learned that it was uh, again an attempt to tell the Ted Bundy story from the perspective of someone involved in his life or involved with him intimately in some respect. 
that's way more interesting to me than um, just another, like, hey, remember this guy that was the crazy bad guy? Because mm. I like the fringe concept of, like, kind of playing around what if Ted Bundy was innocent, right? Because a lot of things that he said make sense to some respect. You know, there are... Right. There's always a political motive to catching the big fish. There, it's it's always like that. And there are times, even now in my own <clears throat> neighborhood, a guy with a little bit of a background got pinged for a murder three years ago. Well, then they found out like six months ago that it was a different dude. And now uh, that dude's got to get out of prison. The bad guy's got to go into prison. But the local community wanted that specific dude, you know, got because of this thing. And the guy that got him, you know, became more popular because he got him. They're not going to hate him because they, he wrongly convicted a person. In a lot of people's eyes, that first conviction is the one that matters. Right. Well, that sounds a very West Memphis three where everyone was against them. And then that's pretty much why they got them. Cause people just refused to believe that they were innocent. That's why they got Martin Shkreli. Yeah, 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 yeah. What? Where is he? Is he still in jail? He's in the pen, still living yeah. it up. He runs. Oh. He still runs his business and shit from there too. Like, uh, like through a conduit. He's not allowed to do a whole bunch of shit. See, but like that's the type of jail that I would like to go to. Like, just you know, Bill Cosby jail. <laughs> we're just like, we're just like, I, I got away with this with whatever crime I want to get away with for seventy years, and I'm just gonna chill on a fucking. Sweet inside of jail because I'm rich and black. <laughs> uh, Lorez, I got I got a question. How would you think this movie holds up to something like what was it called, My Friend Dahmer, which you really liked? Uh, I would say that My Friend Dahmer is a superior film to this in that it felt more complete. There were parts of this movie that I wasn't quite on board with that I couldn't get behind as uh, as well as others like every every moment that Zach Af- Zach Afron is on screen is very good i think he uh captures the Ted Bundy character well it's definitely his best performance but i didn't find the whole love interest element when they would cut back to her where she's mopey and she's in bed and Haley Joel Osment is trying to you know cheer her up and make her feel human again I didn't find that to be that compelling or interesting, and I, I thought it was more of a waste of time than not. And when we got the reveal at the end that she was the one who phoned him in, gave his name to the police, I don't know. It just felt incomplete to me, and it felt kind of contrived. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and for it being... <clears throat> for anybody into, like, serial killers and shit, that shit people know. That's one of the things that... You know, I have, if you guys see my shitty book collection, I have too many books on serial killers. It's actually kind of creepy. But in every single one of them, it references the, the the three things that everybody knows. is Ted Bundy killed a lot of people. He kept driving Volkswagen bugs like a dumbass. And it was his, his girlfriend at the time that initially called the police. Those are like really commonly known things about the Ted Bundy case. So anybody who's aware of that knowledge already going into this film, having that, those moments where uh, Liz is, is pretending to not know. And somebody's asking, I think it's like her sister or whatever. Like, why is he even on the list? I'm sitting there like, she's the motherfucker that called. She wanted to know if her, she was skeptical of her boyfriend for a moment. And then the cop was like, nah, it's cool. And, but the thing, the thing that annoys me about that is that 
we know the conclusion, right? Even if you don't know um, some of these finer details, we're all aware that before Ted Bundy died, he admitted to a bunch of murders in an attempt to prolong his life. He wanted to stay in prison so that he could keep revealing murders. And fuck, a big question of the criminal justice system. Sorry, hold on, let me start over. A big question for the criminal justice system is, should they have killed him knowing that he had a bunch more information to give that would have solved a bunch more murders? And there's not, like, it doesn't touch on that at all. It just sort of says, oh, well, he admitted to 30 30 murders, but it's presumed that he killed a bunch more people. And then it's, like, over. I guess now, now that uh, that Jake mentions uh, my friend Dahmer, uh, the main reason why I like that movie, well, I, I read the comic book before, but the main reason why I like that movie is because it actually showed a different point of view where, you know, we know who Dahmer is and we know what he did, but he wasn't pretending that he wasn't that. And I felt like in this movie, if you don't know about, you know, what Ted Bundy did, then you might believe that, oh, this guy might be innocent. But the fact that some of us already came into the movie knowing what he did and everything that happened, uh, the fact that they were trying to play it off as, you know, did he do it or not? was kind of uh, like it just didn't grab me just because I already knew what had happened. And with my friend Dahmer, the difference was that was that uh, the story was being told by an outsider who knew him. So we got like a different point of view of who Dahmer was than what we've heard before. Um, so that was a big, I guess, the bigger appeal that my friend Dahmer had compared to, what is it? Um, incredible. Jake? What is it? Extremely. Wh- who's got the soundboard <laughs> ready? You didn't. You didn't do it. <laughs> fuck it. Uh, if, it's if you really don't, dark. And... If you don't know it by now, fuck it. Uh, wicked. Let, we'll we'll just dangerous. let's let's shorten it down to extremely wicked. Good. Okay, good. Which is I wish also, what, what the, the fuck with that title? table would have said that exactly. Yeah, yeah. Why didn't one person go? Hey, this is a really dumb fucking title. Let's cut it down to extremely wicked, and then we can put you know an, a subtext underneath it, an incredibly super creepy guy or whatever the fuck it is. <laughs> Also, we didn't see him do anything wicked in the movie. He just lied. Well, right? no, like, you do see him the... take a hammer to one person's head at the very end. Well, but that's at the end, yeah. The uh, the idea of the title was they weren't saying wicked as in, like, a witch, but, like, in the Boston, like, wicked it's as in ah, really cool. It's wicked, bruh. <laughs> He's fucking pisser. Wicked. Why else would they get Zac Efron, star of High School Musicals 1 through 3? <laughs> But he's he's actually really underrated, I feel like. I feel like his career has been, or he's been un- unjustly judged by the fact that he was like a Disney kid. Because I would take him before either of the Franco brothers and before... And by like, take him, do you mean sodomize or... Or be <laughs> sodomized by him. I mean, he's, ha- he's handsomer than both of them and he's little, so I could. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm, I'm like, just acting-wise, like, I think he's better than James Franco and, and the other... What's his name? The, the Dave, other one? Dave Franco. His name is. Yeah, and, 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 like, when it comes to, you know, young heartthrobs that could actually pull up a performance like this, I think he's one of the... the, the Good ones. Well, well, hold on a when second. When it comes to, you know, young, handsome. You're telling me you wouldn't buy Dave Franco as Ted Bundy smiling and squinting at the camera the whole movie? Well, that was that movie with James Franco and Jonah Hill. True story. They tried that out already. And it was just the same idea where it's like, is he guilty? Is he innocent? You're going to have to watch to find out. Is it good? No, I got to agree with what Han said, though. Um, with Efron, it's, I don't know, it's... It's interesting to me. I think it, 
it taps back into because he's been pretty open about it, like his issues with uh, with drugs, like doing a lot of cocaine, kind of getting out of hand with that. And I think alcoholism, there's just a there's a natural element of pain that I think Efron can dial into. Like, even though, like Hans said, he's a pretty boy, little man, (laughs) but he still has that, (laughs) even though he has that very, I guess, marketable look, he does have that element of pain behind his like his eyes that you can see, and he shows that, especially in his monologue at the end of this film, which um, which again I I was pretty impressed by overall. I think yeah, I would agree with you that this was far and away Efron's best work, and I think any praise he gets for it is, is definitely deserved. If he's such a talented actor, like what other roles come to mind for Zac Efron that he really killed it in? Because I can't think of any. I mean, he was in the Beach Bum, and he had like an interesting part in that. But I thought he was one of the weaker elements overall. And then he did that movie, what was it called? The Paperboy, a couple of years back that got critically panned. He hasn't really done a whole lot. Well, maybe he maybe he is a bad agent or he just hasn't gotten that meaty role that can really let him flex his muscles like it has now. Because he's been, ever since he left Disney, he's been typecast as like, again, the hunky, kind of dreamy guy who maybe he has some minor character flaws, but... He, he's just the boy next door. That's who he's been for the last, like, six years. And what, now that he's in, I think, his early 30s, he'll be able to maybe grow out of that and finally legitimize his acting career. And I think, boy, well, he's on his either way. That, either that or straight man for a comedy movie. I think, like, he's done that a lot, where he's just, uh, you know, the the son or the, you know, the, the, the guy that it's uh, stuck up. Oh, yeah, wait, wait, wait. Plays off. Wasn't he uh, in a Matthew Perry, like, body swamp movie? Yeah, 17 again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think that we can see that Zac Efron, up to this, up to this film, um, has it in him to do, to do some, some roles outside of what most people imagine Zac Efron being capable of doing. We see that he's a, like a talented guy and is a, a charis- charismatic guy. But I think in this film, he gets all the opportunity an actor needs to demonstrate that emotional depth that somebody needs to like say, look, I could probably do everything. Uh, I, I would be on board with him in a lot more roles after having seen this because when he's supposed to be the the vulnerable version of Ted Bundy, I I bought it. I believed it. I yeah. I believe that he was looking at um uh Grace Grace Cox, who is nineteen and hot. I had to make sure that was had to do an age <laughs> check. Whenever he's into <laughs> he has those moments with Carol, uh when he's like super vulnerable and yeah, he's manipulating her, telling her, like, you know, Liz left me and I love you now or whatever. But at the same time, the all those moments that he has, those emotional moments that he has, those are believable moments. And mo- they didn't break my immersion at any time. I, did, I was never once like, this is Zac Efron pretending to be a manipulative dude. What about when Sheldon appeared on screen <sighs> and pretended to be a lawyer? Oh, that's <laughs> that was so great. I, I actually... I was so confused by that because, like, he's actually kind of a bad actor, like, to the extent that I'm just, like, the film's fine, it's rolling, and then the dude pops up on screen, and I was like, oh, shit, that's right, this is a movie? This guy is shit. Well, the whole reason why he was cast as Sheldon to begin with was because he can't emote. He's supposed to be that autistic weirdo. 
And then you have him as like, oh, well, he's the, uh, you know, he's the lawyer here. And he's trying to like, I guess, it, like there's moments where he's supposed to be pissed off at Ted Bundy. He's supposed to be worked up. And it's just like. <laughs> oh, oh just come gay. on. <laughs> yeah, exactly, just, Jake. Yeah, that's just a guys, gay man. He, yeah. He cut a girl's <laughs> head off, guys. Like, that's bad. Right? He he actually has a line like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know when he's when he's uh um giving his opening statement or whatever, where it's just like I can't I can't take fucking Sheldon seriously. Like I'm I can't do, like I'm just waiting for the bazinga afterwards. You no, know? I remember the scene because he turned around. I could say the line exactly. He turned around and he goes, "That man bad," and the the whole jury <laughs> just they nodded their head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He he does have a great acting talent though, in that he's the only man that can like enunciate an entire monologue and never show his teeth (laughs) every word every fucking word every s he pronounces it like this yeah (laughs) it's just oh it's the worst (laughs) you you know what you know what bit of casting i did like and jerry i think i think you'll appreciate this did you like james hetfield's cameo Ooh. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it, absolutely. I didn't spot him at first, and it, it, I saw him in the credits. I was like, where Where the fuck was James Hetfield? And then, lo and behold, I look back, and I'm like, wow. He he was pretty convincing. Which, I mean, he was better than fucking Sheldon. Was he one of the cops? Like, <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. the cop that pulls him over to begin with and takes him in. Uh, but did you guys find that his voice sounded like... It wasn't his voice. Yeah, like I had to go back didn't go, on that ah, scene because I was at like, the end of every word. He said. <laughs> yeah, he, he didn't say yeah by the end of yeah. But did you kill this girl? Ah. I had <laughs> I had to rewind it because it sounded like ADR the first time I heard it. The way he said like uh, I don't even remember. He had like two lines and that's it uh, because Ephraim was the one that was speaking, trying to convince him not to get him. But it just sounded really weird the audio, and I I, I didn't know if it was just me that heard. Like his voice was just recorded afterwards. Like it didn't sound like it was coming out of the actor's mouth. No, there, there was a, a good, interesting amount of casting in this. I mean, besides fucking Sheldon. But um, how, how did you guys like uh, Malkovich as the judge? I'll tell you what. I thought he was a little too. He was a little too chill. He was like, ah, this this acting job doesn't really matter. I'm only going to be in this movie for twelve minutes, and he so he didn't really seem to be like going for it. But I mean, he's a judge. Like it, how 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 uh, you know how rich is that acting supposed to be? So I thought he was fine. Like he's base level well, Malkovich. I feel like he's 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 gotten to the point of like uh, you know like a Nicholson where he's just himself in everything. Mm-hmm. And like now when you see John Malkovich, it's like oh that's John Malkovich playing John Malkovich in this movie. Like I remember him in that that awful uh, Bird Box, <laughs> and it's just oh that's just John Malkovich. Like he, hold on a second, he was in Bird Box. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I I just saw I just saw recently that he did a series for either Netflix or it was one of those BBC imports for Netflix. So clearly he's reached that Morgan Freeman Michael Caine part of his career where he's just taking roles for paychecks. Mm-hmm. Oh, dude, he did a he did a like a three minute intro for a UFC fight a couple of months back in October. That was like what? it was like that thing where it's like two champions step up to fight. You know, he did like a full intro for it. It was you know fucking amazing. But he as doesn't a fight fan. He doesn't have but a powerful like, voice though. He's got kind of like uh, a almost like a Sheldon esque voice, really. Yeah, it's just one that people recognize. But Very. but what I was going to say is I liked. I like that scene, regardless of, you know, Malkovich kind of just being John Malkovich up there. I think that, like, I actually have a really good, um, 
like I said, I'm really into all this shit. So I've seen that trial a bunch of times. I'm familiar with the way that judge was, was with Ted Bundy. And those moments, I think, really worked for me. There was always this weird energy between the judge and Bundy. And that the judge was like, this kind of sucks to happen to this guy. This guy is smart. I could work with him. I do like him. And I really felt like that chemistry between at least Malkovich and Efron was still there in those moments, even though it was kind of like, as I say, Malkovich just showing up being like, uh, I'll just read off the paper and uh, go at my mm-hmm. own pace. Was that good? And the director's like, hey, you're in charge, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, I, he, he's just one of those actors that I think has a natural gravitas to him where he, he's pretty engaging no matter what he does, whether he's wacky like he is in Con Air or even Bird Box, uh, or if he just doesn't give a shit like this. He's usually one of the more engaging actors in the room. And with Efron being as good as he was, I think it was kind of a cool dynamic because um, on the one hand, you had Efron, who's doing a great job of playing this manipulative and just sociopathic liar who's just trying to plead his way into into safety and you have Malkovich playing this lethargic judge that just wants to drone on through this trial because he knows he's guilty so it's like I don't know it's this uh cool kind of dichotomy and watching that dynamic bounce off of each other is pretty entertaining for the moments that we do get it I want to talk about Haley Joel Osment being cast in this film because we we mentioned him in passing we didn't really talk about his performance or his role of being the Ted Bundy cuckold here who uh, (laughs) is in love with a woman who can never really love him the same way that she loved Ted Bundy. What did you guys think of Haley Joel Osment? And is he a real actor? Because, I mean, if you think about what he's been up to lately, like he was kind of like the go-to guy for Kevin Smith, right? When he hit like 25 or 26, you know, he was in Tusk. He was in that awful follow-up to Tusk where Kevin Smith played a yoga yoga hosers. Yeah. That was going to be a weird trilogy of horror films, and that Yoga Hosers movie was so bad that they decided to cancel the third one. But that's really all he's been up to. He's been up to those movies, and well, he does a bunch of Adult Swim shows too, right? Mm-hmm. Like he just pops up on, on on shows like that. I feel I feel like he's become um, the Sean Austin of 2019. Ooh. You know, like he's just in that role of I'm going to play the the sensitive fat man that falls in love with the hot woman in the movie sure. <laughs> um but I, I i really didn't mind it just reminded me of you know sean austin and what is it stranger things where he just plays like a, a soft, oh that's a good one yeah that's yeah that's kind of the same role man. well Haley joe osmond he's recently been like the the one of the worst voice actors for um like a uh any video game that he's been a part of so he's been a part of 2k19 but more more recently he was in kingdom hearts not a series i play right <clears throat> but in the realm of voice acting kingdom hearts is always a standout for like being one of the worst voice acting experiences you'll ever have it's it's horrible to listen to it's it's a really high-pitched fake anime and Haley joel osmond plays one of the key characters in that video game and it's so bad. It's it's so bad. It's a lot of like, um, oh my god, guys, we're about to get blown up. But first, 
Let's get together and use our powers to make it stop. Like it's bad. And it's it's been my experience that Haley Joel Osment ruins most things that he's a part of. It could be rolling fine. Haley Joel Osment's there, it's shit. And this is the one time in a long time that I didn't think he completely fucked the movie up. But also, all he had to do was um, be a nicer guy than Ted Bundy in a whole in a movie. So it's like it, it was pretty easy for him, you know. Yeah, that role was essentially designed for somebody who is exactly like Haley Joel Osment. Whatever happened to him? Why does he look like he just went through like? He was rejected from the Wonka factory, you know, <laughs> like he just blew up all of a sudden and they just threw him down the thing and just rolled He has out. a very uncomfortable looking body. Did you see him in like the full body side shots where it's like his back is so arched because his gut is just like spilling out <laughs> and it pushes his ass and his legs farther off so he's got like a Z-shaped body? It's very peculiar. I think he started doing that as like a, 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 a Hollywood producer, you know, um, deterrent, right? Then they won't fuck me if I get fat and gross. So, like, right at 14, get fat and gross. Mm. You still got two more years for them to fuck you. Get fat and gross, done. I don't know. I'm sure they had enough time to fuck him. I, I, I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> he, maybe. Was he was cute. He was cute. <laughs> but that's, that might be part of it, then. That might be part maybe of it. Maybe he's they just probably uh, did. He's, he's got a hefty meal supply. He's still collecting those royalties from yeah. Six Cents. I forgot he was in Murphy Brown. That's a fucking... I take it back. Haley Joel Osment only makes shows better. Murphy Brown's like a 10 out of 10 <laughs> show. Oh, yeah. Wasn't he in that fucking long-ass, um, um, what is it, um, AI movie? Um, mm-hmm. Spielberg movie? Oh, yeah. He was in a three-hour movie that he was in it? He was the star. Yep. When he was a little cute boy, and now he's just a, a soft, fat man. <laughs> the Steven Spielberg, Stanley Kubrick ghost beard. collaboration. Yep. His his beard looks like like a chia pet's hair. Like he just looks like they glued it on his face. Yeah, it's like he probably had so many little fake hairs in his mouth afterwards. What else can be said about this movie? Did you did you guys find any flaws in the film aside from the acting of Jim Parsons, as we mentioned before? <laughs> well, yeah, um, I did early on, and um, well, yeah, there's a couple. The first thing that annoyed me was. The second they try to lure you in into that, into the bar scene in the opening scene and everything, it screams Netflix obnoxiousness from the, from the jump. And what I mean by that is that there's like nine cuts in a five minute in a, in a five second span where I'm just like, okay, where the fuck are we? What's going on? I'm already disoriented, and it's just it it's not purposeful. It's just crappy exposition. Like ooh. Look at these people drinking at a stool for 0.8 seconds. Like That stuff immediately pulls me out of the movie. And so that scene had to build up and pull me in. It, it, so with that said, like when I'm just fucking jaded that way, it really gets me off to a bad start. So that was one thing that it, it annoyed me. And then later on, it kind of leveled out. It It didn't wig out the way it did in those opening scenes. I think maybe they fucking punched the, the editor in the face and told him to calm down. But sometimes less editing is better editing. And that's my sure. opinion, at least. But then the other thing is... Um... Well, just on that point, I mean, the go-to example of that is... What was it? The Freddie Mercury movie, Bohemian oh. Rhapsody, oh, where there's a God. scene that has uh, you know made the rounds on the internet where you can tell 
nobody was acting together that day. It was like when we composite Hans in a sketch or something where <laughs> it's just... Wait, do you, do you mean Oscar winner for Eddie? Yeah, yes, yes. Oh that's God. exactly correct. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, that scene where they're sitting uh, uh, at a, at the table in that in Bohemian Rhapsody, and there's right. so many cuts. In there. I was actually, you know, I'm not a motion sickness guy, but I was getting nauseous from the the cuts of like someone standing, and now they're sitting down, and it's been like one sentence. <laughs> I love that that the defends that people that love Queen because uh, that's what happens when you make a movie like that where uh, where there's an idol and you're making the, the biography even if it's a piece of shit like people will just worship it just because it's someone they like but the excuse that everyone was pulling was uh, well he's a an Oscar winner editor so he obviously knows better than all of you and it's like that doesn't mm, I don't no, know it means like, that doesn't everybody really, was on their mm, fucking no. retard shit when voting for best editing for that yeah. um well like oh, with yeah, the, with this film i think one of the things that i i was just like lightly annoyed with i mean there's it's not like the most technically masterful film right they they do a good job of getting some interesting shots there's some moments that are like um like way too lit and so sometimes there are things that are purposefully framed um in a positive light like like we were saying before um uh, bundy's escape you know from a window right that that could almost play some fun 80s montage chase music you know then he's walking by the girls like hey ladies you know i'm not a murderer like that stuff all plays well but i thought the kind of montaging of uh um the 10 years or however long it was in between the time that he and uh, Liz meets until you know some the first time he gets picked up. Kind of that montaging of years was like a little boring, I guess. Oh, when, they, when they show their love, yeah, yeah, and yeah. like the fuck scene where the scene where they bang that stuff. Kind of, I I already understand their emotional connection. I really don't need you know sodomy. <laughs> yeah, it felt it felt like it was just put together quickly so that people will get the idea of what the relationship was instead of showing their interaction on screen mm-hmm. so it was i felt like it was more of a hey they love each other look they're laying next to each other he didn't even fuck her the first night you know it right was and they like, didn't show lily I collins just... boobs at all and that's kind of like a i mean no nip on lily collins what are you doing man what's the point <laughs> i agree 100 <laughs> <laughs> percent. i'm all for titties let's show them even if they're little doesn't matter did anybody else get the the feeling I did it sometimes, it, this movie was trying to invoke a little too much Zodiac-esque vibes because I caught that early on. And that was kind of a thing for me that it was like, eh, don't go that way. Be your own thing. And luckily it did level out like other things yeah. by the end. But early on, it seemed like they were trying to be, I don't, just in the vibe, I think, with some of the shots, which which were nice, but I think they were trying to capture that zodiac vibe and maybe just because it was in the 70s but it kind of threw me off i i think it might be due to the vintage nature of both of them where they do uh, do happen to take place during the same time period there might have been an unconscious aping of that uh you know editing style and the texture that was uh in place with zodiac i didn't think they harped on it too much though no luckily by the end it, it definitely was its own identity and i mean i'm all for assuming the the kind of aesthetic identities of the of the era but yeah i guess it it kind of threw me off at first because like i said with those 
super fluous uh, editing and like cinematography choices in the beginning. I think that's why it felt foreign to me until a little later in the in the film. So it's a, even from a technical standpoint, if not narrative and acting wise, it takes the movie probably a good twenty minutes or so to actually reach. Um, yeah, I guess I guess it's peak, but the peak definitely comes for certain by the end because by then, yeah, every, everything comes together a little more nicely. What do you think this movie could have done better? Like I said, I'm not really into, I don't give a shit about a lot of like sex scenes. I think you can establish a lot of uh, uh, the emotional connection between two characters without, you know, sh- showing them, you know, fuck dogging each other in a hotel room or whatever. Um, and I, I don't think that trying to demonstrate that Ted Bundy himself is is kind of a destructive person and encourages other people to relate to him. I don't think that that played as well in the 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 breaking of the stuff in the in the room where they're fucking like i get all that shit right i've i've seen filmmaking 101 videotapes before i know what you're trying to to do for the audience but it, it it's unnecessary and kind of fucks with it was the very pace. very drummy like one of your french girls mm-hmm. to me like it just felt like that where it's just weirdly forced romantic or like trying to be you know this quirky look at this quirky thing we do because we're in love but it just felt a little bit forced oh, yeah that, well, maybe yeah, that because was a lot of people want to fuck zach efron you know like and, and it's so it's like oh well let's have zach efron do a fuck scene and then a, yeah. hans is like dude trust me i know this one man you preach to the <laughs> choir <laughs> <laughs> those back muscles <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that that specifically, I thought kind of like fucked with the pace. And but I also think that waiting so long to show him finally like actually kill someone is also kind of a waste of time. Like again, we discussed it that it's supposed to be paced like you're involved with him, so you really shouldn't find out too much towards the end. But like we fucking know, we we didn't exist at the time that everybody in the world knew who Ted Bundy was. By the time that we are alive and old enough to know about him, I mean it, it, it's it's basically a foregone conclusion when you say a film is about Ted Bundy, somebody's gonna get fucking hammered. And the fact that only one person did was kind of meh. Also, if they were trying to show like his softer side or or his more human side or even his uh, you know manipulation. Uh, the only thing they showed him doing that was human was breakfast. Like everything else was him just lying. But like they never really showed him as much of a human being towards other people or like the the way that their relationship was not when they were looking at each other saying I love you. Like that's all we got. So I never really felt that connection or that, you know, uh, character trait of, uh, oh, this guy might be, you know, not guilty. Like, they never actually showed him doing anything more than Tim telling them that he didn't Well, yeah, because, because so I guess he, the- um, <clears throat> at one point, he, he had got into, like, local politics and whatnot like that. So he, he was somebody that people knew. He was a guy that uh, mm. had, I guess, at least some form of resources or connections. And that's not really established. He, he It's almost as, as if he's, like, plucked out of thin air and nobody knows him but uh, his, his girlfriend or his mom or... Yeah, whoever it may be, or yeah, the one lady, uh, what's her name, Carol, or whatever. It, but it, yeah, it doesn't establish the the du- real the real double life that he had. It, it just shows him, oh, he's and a like, nice stepdad, and 
that's fucking it. And even when, even when he was uh, on trial, that he was so comfortable and so you know openly defending himself and whatever, and he fired his attorney. Like the only thing we knew about him is that he was a lawyer, like a, a law student, and that's it. We didn't know that he had any experience with anything else that would give him that confidence of you know doing what he did. Mm-hmm. They pretty much just had him writing on a book and telling that detective, I'm a law student. And that's the only background we got from him, you know, being comfortable, being broadcasted on TV live and also, uh, uh, you know, in a, in, a, in, in a murder trial where he was the, you know, the main uh, suspect. So that, that kind of took me, I mean, I, again, because I know who he was. I, I know why he was comfortable, but if you're trying to, you know, show this movie to someone that maybe doesn't know who he is and try to present him as that, I feel like maybe that could have been mentioned a little bit more or at least established that or the reason why he's comfortable like that and not just, you know, I'm a law student. Hans, can you, can you tell us how it was watching the Ted Bundy trial back in the late 70s as a grown man? <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, me and my first wife uh, sat down with our two children. <laughs> uh, it's primetime television. Yeah. Like, that's a thing that is, is really well done in the film, is that I've seen all, all of those trial tapes and shit, and as a viewer, a lot of times you are like, well, is were the cops fucking with him? Is that appropriate to do? And I think the film showing, the like, all the police and, and prosecutors and shit are sort of the bad guys in comparison to Zac Efron. Mm-hmm. Until like justification for it is, it is is explained, but there's a lot of stuff that I think they did really well. Um, it's probably longer than it needs to be for for what they try to get over. Like, and, and I'm sure if they just change a few thing, a few scenes here or there, it shortens the runtime and you get all the same shit. You get all the you know the same experience essentially. What did you guys think of the critical reception to this movie, which has been lukewarm to negative? I believe the last time I checked, the and it, it might have changed since it came out, but prior to its actual release on Netflix, the movie was around like 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. A lot of people had a problem with it. Yeah, I think that the, the takes the I've seen had? that didn't like it, I think have an issue with uh, the overall approach to the subject matter, a more ambiguous, omniscient look at it, rather than... Uh, obviously going over charted territory, which we all know. I, th- I think there was a distaste of humanizing him to an extent. And it's not like it's not like this film even humanizes him to the point of like, listen, he, yeah, he is a good guy, but it just shows that people are capable of manipulating others and that he was just one of those people that could do it. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. I think it's just, once again, an instance of critics like just looking at the surface and making a face value kind of determination. Yeah, there is a clear line where it is not Ted Bundy propaganda. I mean, they give you a conclusive result at the end of things as if you didn't already know. As we already established, everybody knows that he was guilty. But there's no inkling of doubt that is left with you as you're exiting the movie. Also, I, I'm pretty sure that it has a lot to do with the climate that we're living in, where if you don't present this murderer as the worst person in the world, then people are going to be like, well, he was a monster and there's victims. And how dare you present him in a you know softer light as a human being? 
you know, when he did so many horrible things, he killed so many women, you know, like that. I'm sure those reviews, that's what they say. Because you can't really say much about technically uh, or visually, like the movie was good and it looked good. Uh, the performances was most, mostly good, and, and, unless you mentioned fucking Sheldon. <laughs> but I'm sure that the reviews have more to do with the fact that you're not presenting this monster as a You know monster. who you sound like right now, Hans? You sound like Nick DiPaolo. That's what I'm hearing right now. <laughs> Telling it how it is. Hey, I got suspended for two Oh, yeah, that's right. So I'm, I'm, I'm edgier than that 60-year-old man. Well, let's, let, we should talk about that also before we wrap up here. Uh, and I do feel like we're running thin on material for this movie. Um, you got banned from Twitter the same day that Nick DiPaolo got canceled by Twitter for mocking a dead Black Lives Matter activist with his YouTube art, <laughs> where he's doing the, yeah. the classic rock and roll 1990 guy move of putting up, uh, he's flipping them the bird, you know? And uh, one of these guys was murdered. So, oh, I mean... No. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And I got, I got suspended because I called David Hogg a shithead. What? Yeah. Yeah, you had me on the show with a guy that would do that. I'm okay with mocking dead people, (laughs) right? You make fun of like an 18 year old, and then we have problems. Hans, you're 65. I'm fucking. I'm dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, uh, that was it. I mean, that's the only. I mean, I did ask someone if they were mentally retarded sarcastically earlier in the day, but I'm sure that's okay. I didn't. Do you know how many times I've said retard on Twitter and nothing has happened? Yeah. I go after one one Vice article and then I wind up in timeout. That that seems to be the uh, the criteria here. well, I sent out a, a tweet a couple of days ago about the whole like retard debacle. Like, don't you just think it's funny when you use that word in front of somebody who has a relative or something like that who, who's mentally challenged, and they're like, "Hey, don't say that. My son is a retard." <laughs> like, yeah. So, uh, what are you going to do? What's your recourse here, Hans? You you should always have like four backup, pro- like the Anthony Cumia approach, where you just make a bunch of dummy accounts. <laughs> Because you're going to be perpetually kicked off. Are you going to go to gab.ai now? Like, what is what is, what is your plan no. here? Why do, why do you act disgusted by that proposition after you call David Hogg a shithead? <laughs> because I don't even know how... Like, I, I think I'm on Gab. I just don't know how... It, it looks like fucking... Like, a, like a, a thread. But, like, it's just very confusing to navigate. This is the same reason why I don't go on Reddit. Because I'm an old man that doesn't know how it works. And I don't want to make myself look like a like an asshole and have a bunch of young kids around the world make fun of me. You know, I was already talking to no one on Twitter. Like, why would I do that with two even less people? Just make a different account with a different email address and, and tweet the exact same shit. That's why I'm on my like fourth account. And my first tweet on every account since my first account has been the same tweet that got me banned from my last account just to test out the waters and it almost never gets me in trouble fucking three years ago uh or two years ago talib Quelly called me a racist pedophile on his fucking twitter <laughs> what and nice. i've i've since retweeted the screen caps of it with the same fucking same thing that he says in it and twitter doesn't give a fuck no i think once they just, just make a different account start posting the n-word and and fucking lewds or whatever and you'll be fine it's weird. I, you know, obviously uh, they don't want to go after or enforce rules for the blue checks. 
Although uh, with Jake Hanrahan, something came up with him recently where I think they put him in timeout over something really benign. I think he was complaining about a Vice article as well. So I, I have no idea what the rhyme or reason is at the end of the day, or what like the uh, the or, or, or the prime target is for these censors. They, 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 the the one dude, whatever the fuck his name is, Jack or whatever, he explained on Joe Rogan's show essentially that they have a system in place that reviews. Um, how many times a single individual has made reports of harassment, right? Yeah. So if if one or two people that work for this company are saying like, oh, we're getting harassed for the articles that we're writing, right? After a little while, Twitter reviews that company and says anybody that works for them is going to get harassed by people. So if you aren't following a specific you know, set of, of, of Twitter accounts, and you say something to one of those other accounts that isn't on par with like, hey, I love you. I actually want to smell the under part of your balls. If you don't mind, please, sir. You're probably going to get banned for it. And David Hogg is one of those dudes. There's a hell of people that haven't said anything fucked up to him that are just basically say like, well, this is a dumb thing that just said, kid. I'm 99 years old or whatever the fuck it is. And That's not what I said, by the way. I mean, I, it, <laughs> I just mean to say, like, even the most benign boomer post is something that people have been banned for for when they communicate with people like Hog. And it's just, it's, it would happen the same way if, like, uh, if someone like David Duke were on Twitter and he complained a lot, like people keep people keep saying that I'm a racist and I don't like it. I'm not necessarily a racist or whatever the fuck his argument is. Like uh, at some point, people would start getting banned for benign things to even David Duke. It just so it just it doesn't make sense for a lot of uh, us to like complain about people harassing us because we'll like, just call you a faggot and, and mute you or whatever, or go make you go away somehow. Those people have reported. So you got to think David Hogg's probably reported like 10,000 accounts, you know? Yeah. Also, his fans. I'm sure that people that, you know, suck them off are the ones that report people in mass mm-hmm. just because they know that they, they that he's protected and like they're going to get shit done if they report, you know, negative stuff on his timeline. So but I don't even know. I, I have no idea if you got reported or not because I can tell you right now. Uh, my suspension came literally seconds after I put the tweet out. It was just an automatic detector that I had said something negative about a Vice article and they did the math, I, I guess, and decided, okay, it's safe enough to uh, prevent him from popping up in other people's timelines. But I'm also, I'm also wondering if, uh, if my, the timeout that I had last, I think it was last month, that they gave me like six days for, for something similar. I don't even remember what it was, but it was something similar. And uh, maybe the fact that that happened, and then I don't, I don't, I don't know. I can't. That, that's the thing. I can't figure it out because in the previous one, they told me, okay, so all you need to do is just delete this tweet, and then they didn't post any tweets. So I was like, great. I don't even know what the fuck I'm supposed to delete. Like, I, great. So I'm just gonna wait for the six days. And now this time it was just like your account is suspended. You can appeal here, and that's it. So it's not like they tell you exactly what you did. So I'm confused as to okay, was it? that I call him a shithead or I don't like, I don't know. Like I, 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 I'm not a dangerous person guys. You know, you know what? I think, <laughs> like I'm not. I think it is. It's like this sacred cow kind of complex they have on there. Cause I got, I got one of those like two day lockouts for, I just, I referred to Chris Evans as like a fragile bimbo or something like that. And they, they locked me out for like two days and I'm like, 
for that? I'm like, that's like, yeah, that's like what your aunt would call your girlfriend or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you remember Bunty King? I don't know if you guys are all familiar with him, but sure. that Bunty King, it had to have been like over a year ago because he's not been that type of uh, tweeter in a long time. But when he used to get to a lot of, of tweet fights, he resorted to calling people like a booger back and stuff like that. Like the most like, <laughs> like five-year-old insults ever. <clears throat> And would still get and would still get light suspensions and shit. Like I don't. He called somebody like a crumb bum, and and got a fucking twelve hour suspension or twelve hour. You know, but I, that's the thing that's confusing too. Is a suspension is permanent, but you'll get a, a yeah. timed ban. What's a crumb bum? Just someone with cellulite? <laughs> I hadn't considered that, but that's actually potentially what it is. Jerry, are you dying? What's going on with you? You keep coughing and wheezing, and, and violently so. It's not even just a normal. Like thirty year old smokers cough. It's just you're on the verge of Sickle passing down, away man. each time. Skull s- <laughs> Sickle out, man. Yep. No, I don't know. One of my uh, one of my kids got me mildly sick. Like yesterday, I was kind of fucked up. Um, and then today, my throat's a little fucked. So stop kissing your kids in the mouth. It's no, weird. no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got that Tom Brady family dynamic going Tom right Bradyism, now. dude. I can't oh. help it. Come back oh. over here and give me a better kiss while I lay on my back and get a massage. <laughs> this isn't creepy at all. Oh, boy. All right. Well, uh, extremely wicked. It's quite the film. Zach Efron's best performance to date. And, uh, you know, it's a brisk movie. You know, it's only about 90 minutes or so. It won't eat up too much of your time. I think Netflix has been on a roll as of 2019, acquiring these movies that... Hey, what? You want to interrupt me? What is yeah, it, Hans? I do. Which which movie from Netflix do you think has been good? Because I, I just thinking back of what I've seen, the only thing I can remember is that fucking awful zombie series. What's it called? Black Summer? What? Which is has the fucking dumbest fucking characters I've ever seen in a zombie series or a movie, and that's saying a lot. Uh, where you know nothing makes sense and like everything just feels forced and weirdly emotional with these characters whose name we don't even know. Uh, but besides that, like I can't think of any Netflix productions came coming out this year that I was like. I'll tell you what was surprisingly good was the Motley Crue biopic directed by Jackass's Jeff Tremaine, uh, The Dirt. That was pretty good. It wasn't like best movie of the year or even close to contention of that, but it was a surprisingly quality film. Also, Velvet Buzzsaw by Dan Gilroy was a good schlocky throwback to weird 70s uh, art house horror. You also love Polar, right? <laughs> oh, God, that's at the end of my list, actually. I was just pulling up my letterbox right now. It, it's really at the end. It, I can't... Imagine a worse film. I mean, Guava Island, Donald Glover's Guava Island was pretty bad, but uh, nothing is going to be polar at this rate. I didn't, I didn't even, I'm unfamiliar with Guava Island. It was a direct to a Amazon short. Prime. No, it's not a short. It's 50 minutes. It's not a short? According to the Academy, a feature film is, I believe, 45 or 40 minutes in longer. Hmm. So what's it about? Is it just them fucking? It's uh, yes. It's um, Rihanna and it's like a it's like a Purple Rain type movie. It's Donald Glover playing out his album in like a bunch of music videos that coalesce into a plot. Oh, 
Oh, okay. Yeah, very terrible. (laughs) Good. Good. I'll have to check it out. This, you know, there's got to be something. There's got to be something to say about people just watching shit because it involves somebody that they like. Like Rihanna, right? She's not an actress, but she was in getting work because people see her. She was in Battleship. Battleship. You get it? Rihanna's not an actress. She was in fucking Battleship, dude. Fuck, bro. How much money did that movie make? Well, that's Kino. Prime Kino. <laughs> well, it made at least 80 bucks for me going to the theater to see it seven times. <laughs> <laughs> I still have not seen it, but didn't that kill the board game movie thing that they were going to start? It was that, yeah. and then it was... No, no, like no. Pixels? They're right? going to do... Expanded Universe. Like. They're doing a, a reboot of Clue. Good. Good. Well, that one at least you know there's a plot that you can follow, I guess. Like the murder. So that one, aspect. that one's fine. Yeah, but, but like, like something like Stretch Armstrong. I'm I into all that like zany, kooky, co- like weird comedy, like nothing but trouble. Is that what that is? Yeah, nothing but trouble. Or my wife is an axe murderer. Was that? Or my like wife that? is an axe murderer. Hell That's yeah. Mike Myers. And nothing but trouble was uh, Dan Aykroyd, right? Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, where it's like. He had almost a hundred percent creative freedom, so it's a bunch oh. of his weirdest like thoughts all put in a film. Is that the one with the monsters? With like the monster judge? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where his oh fuck! I used to love that, that movie when I was actually, young. That movie's completely underrated. I'll have to do an episode on it. But but believe it or not, Battleship actually made a hundred thousand dollars or a hundred thousand. That didn't sound impressive at all. <laughs> That would end Hollywood. If Battleship only made 100K, that would change so much, so quickly. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but weren't they doing like an Uno movie and like a like Go Fish movie, <laughs> like Bagamon movie? <laughs> Where in the world is Carmen Go Sandiego, Fish. maybe? That was uh, Joe Pesci hey. and uh, Danny Glover, oh, right? 1997? Oh, Go fish. That's... Oh no, that was grumpy old man. And there's like no, that's Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon. <laughs> oh, same thing. <laughs> Why don't we close the show out on that note? Because uh, you're gonna start hearing Korean voices. Soon. Uh, Jake, where can people find you? Comfort Systems episode two. Go see it, Jerry. What about you? Uh, you can find me at UnbelieverMedia at YouTube.com or uh, my extremely successful podcast ratings on uh, Spotify. Come on through, check me out, and I also have a sex tape on you porn. You know, that was a great episode you did on natural born killers. Like that? Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, and Hans, now that you're not on Twitter, where can people find you? The phone book? You, you can't. <laughs> Just uh, the pigeon jungle. carriers. Send me drugs. Um, and uh, we're, we're going to be doing an episode on Nothing But Trouble uh, with... Uh, that ratings show. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, Absolutely. Look, look, <laughs> look forward to that. Besides that, I have nothing where you can find me. I mean, I don't want Facebook because I don't really use it, and Instagram is not really much of a thing. So I just, just follow. I, I, <clears throat> sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. It's fine. I was say, I, I, I just want to end. Say anyway, I just want to end the show on saying that if Grace Victoria Cox hears this, I will absolutely eat your ass. Just give me a call. Uh, it's mulatto <laughs> underscore Jesus at Twitter. Uh, you you dress up like Ted Bundy's wife. I will dress up like Richard Ramirez, and we'll just get it done. 
That's great. That's great. Wholesome family fun. Thank you, boys, so much for popping on the show today. Uh, this has been Movies.